and we're live! Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Holy Crap, the Vlogcast. Vlogcast comes from a skeptical point of view to answer some of the questions of why. This vlogcast started as a combination of spite and the sorry sand effect because I forgot to turn off the, uh, the thing that says what episode number it is, so I don't have to play with that now. It's got nothing to do with the setup for the show, but it, it was something that was just kind of funny to me. Not haha funny, more like, um, are, are you okay? Are you going through, you know, senility shoe? Yeah, I, I might be, whatever. But at least part of the fun is trying to figure out if the journey is more important than the destination. I'm your main host. I'm known as Shuju Triple. You can find me pretty much everywhere in, in senility centers. That's under S-H-U-J-I-N. Hi. It's going to be one of those nights. So, as far as the crap crew is concerned tonight, I get to do this for a change. From the right-hand coast of what is otherwise Hurricane Alley, Unrenowned Tech, sign in, please. Hi. <laughs> yeah, for the moment, it's just the two of us. Um, Brid Bridget just was not feeling. The two of us. Bridget was Sorry. not feeling really good uh, earlier and uh, kind of conked out. I, which, it, yeah, we're, it's not like we're working retail. You know, take care of your health and then do the show. Yeah, which let's face it, it is entirely possible that Bridget might suddenly wake up and go, "Oh shit, I got to be on the show," and still join us. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. No, it wouldn't. Um, and, uh, Joseph is, uh, well, invited. he's invited. He's invited. He seems to be possibly awake. So I guess we'll see what happens. Reminding you, it's all dark, stupid in the morning over there in Paris. So, you know, we'll I do miss one of our Canadian buddies. Yeah. Yeah. And I did let him know. I did let him know that this was going to be much more fluff piece. And he's. I, I, I left it open for him. So, you know, he, he's got the invite. And I did speak with Joe uh, just a little bit before showtime. He's busy at work and, you know, he sends his regards. He's still alive. Which is, as far as I'm concerned, so long as I know that, that's that's good enough for me. Yeah. So, what have I got to drink tonight? Loganberry. Because, oh, wow. Because Loganberry. Yeah, how do you like it? Well, I've... Loganberry juice is, like, the thing out here in the Buffalo market. Around the Great uh, Lakes, um, Crystal... Dude, dude Crystal from Beach. New York, remember? Well, no, no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Crystal Beach, if I remember right, in Ohio? Yes. Is kind of where it took off. It's, like, the the drink out over there at... I forget what the name of the amusement park is which is really where it blew up from. So along the Great Lakes, you know, down that way and over this way into Buffalo, Rochester, you know, it's it's a big thing. Now, when I was growing up down, you know, down the Big Apple way, uh, never heard of it. Never heard of it. But after I moved up here, uh, the lady took me to... <laughs> she took me to Mighty Taco. Which is, cool. uh, it, it was a lot better. It's not as good as it used to be, but you know what? It, be that as it may. But Loganberry was like, you know, one, one of the soft drinks uh, on, on tap over there for you. And, you know, I've never heard of it before. And she's just like, you gotta, you gotta try some of this. 
Love it. I love this stuff. So the only Logan Berry I've had, I haven't had it as a beverage. I've actually had it as a syrup mm-hmm. on pancakes. And it was delicious. Yeah. You can uh you can get Loganberry syrup. It's not too difficult. But Yeah, um, and you don't have to worry about uh you know being over twenty one. Yeah. And it's <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get to that in a second, by the way. Uh it's sold on the shelves out here as a bottle of syrup. So in my case, all I have to do is pour some into a glass. Uh, I think it's supposed to be a, a five to one ratio with uh, water, you know, five water to one. And it's, it's great stuff. Or you can just pour it straight on top of ice cream or, or on top of whatever, but it's good stuff. Now, the reason about that, that 21 thing, you remember, you remember we've talked about um, Guinness Zero. Yes. I'll, I'll explain about that in just a second. Introduce? Yes. Joseph from Paris, you made it this morning. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How, How are you all? Doing okay. I was just uh, talking about you a little little bit ago. We were kind of wondering if you were going to be able to make it. Ah, yeah. Sorry for last week. No. No worries. Told you, man. It's, <laughs> it's not like you're getting paid for these appearances. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the what I was just saying is that the... Guinness Zero, I finally found a worthwhile use for the stuff, believe it or not. You open the can, you pour it into a pan on your stovetop, and you boil it, and you put your hot dogs in it to boil. Because that's about the only good use for that stuff. Okay, so anybody who hasn't done this before... Boiling hot dogs in beer, your favorite beer, one, it kills the alcohol, two, it does infuse the flavor, just like cooking with any alcohol does. Right. Uh, So you can add a really nice, beautiful Guinness flavor with any kind of Guinness beer, regardless of whether it has alcohol in it or not, to your bratwurst, your favorite sausages, hot dogs, whatever, and it's very common. So, I mean, yeah, if it's cheaper than the regular beer... That'd be a good reason to get it. Possibly. But only, so yeah, if you, if you like, I had neighbors when I lived in uh, Virginia who made, every time the summer started over a weekend, they'd have all their friends over, all their family over. And they, I, they went through bratwurst and, uh, uh, um, uh, they made spare ribs and they made all sorts of stuff. Right. But they went through tons of bratwurst. And he always, you know, cooked them in beer before putting them on the grill. Okay. So if you're doing something like that and that stuff, that, that you know, Guinness Zero happens to be on sale, we'll buy the good Guinness for the drinking, buy the Guinness Zero for doing the bratwurst or whatever. And dude, it's a win-win. It's consideration. And you, yeah. But I mean, only in that scenario where it's on sale. Yeah. 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 Because as we- I would rather make speedies because I'm that guy. Yeah. Guinness Zero, uh, yeah. Mm, j- mm, no, just, no. just. Sell me the State Fair Speedy Sauce. Nom, 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 nom. No idea what that is, but you know what? That's okay. That's in Salamita. I, I kind of guessed that part. Yeah. You know what speedies are? No, I don't. Really? Really. They serve them in Buffalo for crying out loud. If they do, I've never seen them. God. Okay. What are speedies? 
It's a marinated meat much similar to a shish kebab without the vegetables, uh, using a very particular recipe. The traditional method of consuming them is that you have to get an Italian roll. You slice it open, butter it, put it on the grill to toast it real quick. Then you take a skewer of speedies. Pew! Off you go. That's a new one by me. I don't think that I've heard of that one. Huh. Learned something new today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, you, now, depending on where you go, you might just get rough cut meat. Um, but when I was getting it, okay, um, where I grew up in up in New York, they actually cut them into cubes. Makes okay. sense. And the most common was pork and chicken. But you can make speedies out of um, pork, chicken, lamb, beef. I think uh, recently somebody did a um, variation of one of the speedy sauces to account for uh, venison and lamb. But the problem with lamb is is you can't marinate lamb very long. Otherwise, you all you taste is a speedy sauce. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those very strong, it's very potent marinades. Two hours, you've marinated whatever the heck it is. You don't have to wait overnight. Um, and they're amazingly good. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's just one of those things, uh, in New York that, you know, it, people have tried to travel it to other places and it just never really takes off because people are like, what's it, what's a speedy, you know, and, and they get weirded out that there's a cube of meat in front of them. Yeah. It's kind of hard to argue with that. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, when you have, uh, ideally, you shouldn't be going into a restaurant for this. You should be going to like an outdoor grill to get these things. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, I I used to make them every summer, um, and then for a little while there, you couldn't get the sauce, the marinade, because uh, the state's fair. That was the most popular one. People would make their own, but the Salamita State Fair uh, Speedy Sauce was the best, and um. They start selling it online again by the gallon. Oh. Perfect. All right. So let me get things uh, let me get things rolling over here because um, how long we're going to go tonight is really going to depend as to where we end up. I was joking with Tech earlier that uh, you know we could end up early. Yeah, we almost never seem to, but you know we'll, we'll see how it is. And of course. If you do decide to join us while we're recording over on YouTube, you could be over in the live chat, kind of like uh, me, because I'm I'm the only one in the live chat right now, and I'm pretty sure Tech's about to pop up on there too, because you know I hear the tappity tappity. Oh, sorry, you know I was just putting the somebody actually did a Wikipedia entry on Speedies. This is great. I love it. You 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 go ahead and mute yourself. Have fun reading. I was just doing a Google search to see if I could find a link to the to the marinade because I was like, you know, I need to order some of it. And it's like, there is a Wikipedia entry. This, this is so cool. You go ahead and read up. Meanwhile, let me get things rolling over here. So, with five minutes on the clock, your five minute freestyle starts right now. It is the seventeenth of July. It is my anniversary. Yeah, I know. I know. Once you're a widower, it's kind of hard to admit that you still pay attention to those anniversaries. This should have been our 29th year together. 
And, you know, every once in a while, I think back on some of the stuff that, some of the stuff that I've done, some of the stuff that we did together. And of course, you know, ultimately there will be those things about what we didn't get to do. And the stuff that we didn't get to do, in some respects, I don't think that anybody really needs to know about them. I'm very certain that there are certain people who really, really shouldn't know about them. For various reasons. Not legal reasons, just just social reasons. But there are a couple of things that I remember that are very, very important to me. And there's there's nothing nothing wrong with my telling you about these. Because the first one was a really fun thing. I left the house I grew up in on Long Island 12 hours behind schedule because the U-Haul place that was going to put a trailer hitch on my car at the time had the wrong trailer hitch sent over to them and the guy blew a gasket at the shipping guys and told them to get it over there now. Fortunately, I still got the thing. I got everything hooked up. I put everything that I owned into a little Honda C, uh, Honda Civic hatchback. 89. You know, so those, the ones that look like the Honda Fit now. And a small U-Haul. 12 hours behind schedule. I drove overnight to go from Long Island to Buffalo. It was a long drive. It was a long drive. And I arrived at the apartment just as my then-girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, was just coming out because she had to go off to work. And she told me, look, just park it right here. And when I come back, you know, we'll unload everything. Don't worry about it. By the time she came back from work, I, I had already unloaded everything. I had unloaded everything. Now, granted, there wasn't a hell of a lot of anything. It was, like, really, really, really heavy. So, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. I remember that because it was very, very much of the... After, you know, almost eight... No, yeah. Uh, after an eight-hour drive, I finally arrived just as she's ready to leave. It was perfect. But the other thing that I remembered was when we got to go to Japan and Australia. And I was I was thinking about it. And I went looking up to try to find out, you know, does the company that made the duster jacket that I brought back from Sydney, are they still in business? God damn it, yeah, they are. So, after looking over the stuff that they have currently for sale, I sent them an email. I sent them an email with a couple of pictures to let them know that I'm very gratified to see that they're still in business. I got a picture of me still at the time wearing that duster jacket in Niagara Falls and a couple of pictures of us when we were there in Sydney in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I can't tell you how much I adored what we were able to do together. We understood each other. We, 
you know, as the old expression used to be, you know, we were simpatico, man. We could look at each other and just know. She convinced me to take ballroom dancing lessons. And after hamming and hawing, we finally went together. And we learned a deeper communication and understanding between us. And it was one of the most amazing things to me. To all of you that get to celebrate one more time around with each other, you might think that I'm bitter. You might think that I'm cynical. After all this time, but for all of you that can still enjoy being together, I wish you a happy anniversary. Even if I can't share mine the same way. Episode 413 on the docket, Your Honor. We're living in the future. There's stuff that was going on in the world of science because you know, the news has got enough bullshit to have to deal with. The idea of having, like, cool news for a change believe me i'm very happy that we've got like some cool news for a change and i'm i'm very happy to have it so we're going to talk a little bit about that we're going to have a little bit of fun talking about um the 21st century that we find ourselves in and you know we'll kind of work a little bit differently and see where it takes us we do however have the horrible scopes to deal with so let's do that first, get it out of the way, and then we'll see where it takes us. Uh, Joe, are you, uh, Joseph, you logged into uh, Horrible Scopes? Uh, I'm doing that right now. There you go. So, for those of you that know what your astrological signs are, cool. Those that don't, it doesn't matter. And last week, we did have some strange and unusual names instead. But since nobody got in touch with me and said that they want to have anything new this week, we're back to the old ones. So, for those hey, of you... Yeah? Uh, next week I won't be here, but you should do, like, all uh, computer parts. Obscure computer parts. <laughs> I will see what I can come up with. <laughs> That'll be a fun one to watch, listen to. No guarantees. Mm-hmm. But... Those of you that, rem that uh, remember what your astrological sign is, uh, when you hear your sign, just raise your hand so we know who to throw the eraser at. We, we don't do that anymore, do we? They don't use blackboards anymore, do they? It's all dry eraser. It's, 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 it's over. Uh, many schools actually still use. Eh. Not well, where I work, they just installed a whole slew of, uh, Tactile big screens. Nifty. Yeah. Kind of cool. You can draw in any color on anything. Wipe it off. And even save everything yeah. you've drawn. Yeah. All your formula. But then you got no then then you got no erasers to throw at students <gasps> when their heads go down. Ooh, speedy flavored potato chips. Stop. And get a rolling. <laughs> Aries, there is a secret ingredient in Italian tomato sauce that you're about to learn, and it'll turn everything you've ever thought about it upside down. Sugar. Yeah, it's cheating since you really should be using slow-roasted garlic, but sprinkling in sugar with your dry spices will help the taste. And it needs to be actual 
sugar. Don't don't use sweet and low. Don't use stevia and not honey. And remember, you don't you don't deep fry tortellini for family. If you're having a if you're having you know a, a, a get together for like a, a football game or something, that fine. I mean, go for it. They're great, but for family, no. Yeah, no, not for a sit down dinner. No, no, no. I, I'm going to I'm going to read Taurus because this is uh, uh, <laughs> right up your alley. What? Oh, yeah. Wait, are you afraid that I don't know how to pronounce uh, Tyrolean? Is that it? Uh, uh, you think no, I'm a dumb American? Uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, take care. I'm just teasing you, man. So, Taurus, you know a trilby is not a fedora, but do you know where it comes from? The name comes from a stage adaptation of George de Maurier's 1894 novel, Trilby. The hat worn in the first London production of the play promptly came to be called a trilby hat, resembling the Bavarian Tyrolean hat. As far as most famous people wearing it, you have a Frank Sinatra, Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau, and cartoon character Inspector Gadget. That does not mean it looks good, it looks good on you. Get the grizzly oil skin hat and matching duster jacket from Outback Trading if you want to look cool. That is a great look, by the way. That's how I used to look. Or just, or just buy a fedora, damn it. You, you could. You could. <clears throat> okay, Gemini. Generally speaking, movies are supposed to be a form of mindless escapism. Tearing apart scientific inaccuracies isn't usually appreciated by the people around you. It's best left to the professionals, like Joel, Mike, Crow, and Tom. Because, you know, they're actually good at it. This week, find something you're actually good at. And for those who know, uh, by the way, for those of you who know those, who those four people are, uh, you need to keep your eyeballs on Kickstarter and Indiegogo from time to time, because every once in a while, they pop up little things here and there that you can jump in on and reap the benefits and rewards from. Yeah, that one was actually written um, at myself because I got to see um, Jurassic Park for the first time, and I was very much of the... Well, why would they do this? This is stupid. Why they do? Uh, and I finally realized, oh shit, I'm I'm being that. Must guy. go faster. Must go faster. Must go faster. Must go faster. Faster would be better. Yeah, I watched a, a blacksmith tear apart uh, blacksmith scenes in different movies, <laughs> and and I'm going. You know, I've been watching Forged in Fire for years now, and this guy is not wrong. No. And now, if I watch a movie and they have a forging scene in it, I realize I'm doing the same damn shit. <laughs> Cancer mode child. With video card prices dropping quickly, you better be careful upgrading your current computer. Never mind if you're buying a secondhand crypto mining card, but your poor power supply might melt down trying to supply enough power to it. Check all your stats before you plug it in. And keep someone near the circuit breaker panel, just in case. Uh, and here's a weird one for people. I, I know this is going to sound a little weird, but if you're buying a second-hand video card that was, you know, one of the models that the crypto miners loved, which is basically anything that was made in like the last four years, that's a high-powered car. If you're buying it second-hand and you get it, smell it. 
if it smells like it's been in the same spot as something else that may have caught fire, send it back, get your money back, buy from somewhere else. Yep. So you pay you play air bass like a fiend. Your your friends play air drums, air guitar, and air keyboards. They each know people that pay that play air sax, air trumpet, air trombone, and air cello. At the next battle of the air bands, go to the Naperville Travel Agency performing twenty five or sixty four, and you'll win hands down. Yes, air band competitions are still a thing, and if you don't believe us. Start one yourself this week. Yeah, because you, you can't call yourself the Chicago Transit Authority. Naperville I, Travel Agency, I, because... I'm not Googling that. I don't want to see that air bands are still a thing. They are. No, I'm not Googling it. You can't make me. Virgo. <laughs> In 1973, the Carpenters had a song called Top of the World. And the lyrics are just weird. Listen to this part. Something in the wind has learned my name, and it's telling me that things are not the same. The singer is describing voices in their head, talking to them, making them think thinks, think things aren't quite right. Yeah, there were a lot of drugs in the 70s, but when you start hearing voices, it's time to stop. This week, play Phasmophobia. You're the DJ is a dick. Yes, he is. Hey, Libra, remember when Disney used to produce live-action movies in the 60s? <laughs> I bet you don't. Because in between 101 Dalmatians, The Sword in the Stone, Mary Poppins, I know that one's kind of iffy, and The Jungle Book, they produced 49 Live-action films, almost five a year. Classics like Swiss Family Robinson, Son of Flubber, That Darned Cat. I like that one. Blackbeard's Ghost, and the recently cited The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Mm -hmm. This week, see if you can creatively acquire any of those movies for yourself. Or just go to Blockbuster. You could try that. Sure. <clears throat> I get that reference. You could try that. Oh, the computer war tennis shoes. Oh, holy crap. I remember that. Welcome to the show. I, I just pulled up images of it and it just jogged my memory that I have actually seen that. <clears throat> okay. Joe Flynn. Scorpio. Annoying rattle and humming sounds from your car can be solved by turning up the volume on your radio while driving. In your case, this won't work. The spaces between talking points on NPR shows, <laughs> NPR shows lets you still hear the noises. This week, bring it into the shop to be checked out, but remember to turn down the radio. <laughs> you want to, you want to take the NPR shows into the garage to eliminate sure. the spaces? Why not? Okay. Sagittarius. All oh, your friends are talking behind your back. No, I'm sorry. I love you, weirdo. <clears throat> you know the that one album you got? The one where people look at it and ask, what were you drinking the night you got it? 
Yeah. The one where track 10 is called <clears throat> Dickweed. It's time to just throw it away. Not donate it. Not give it away to anyone. Hell, don't even offer it to a library. Just pop it in your microwave oven for one solid minute. Then through a shredding machine. You'll be able to sleep better this week. Yeah, that one's on me in particular. Because the album in question is Super Sadomasochistic Expialidocious. And I swear to you, that is a real album. By who? I, don't, don't make Elvis Hitler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, the DJ on this next one is still a dick. <laughs> and I didn't forget to take my multivitamins, darn you. Mm -hmm. Bad monkey. Capricorn. If the expressions bear good, interweb bad, Napster bad, and fire bad, fire bad, means something to you, then you need to take your silver year once a day multivitamins because you forgot again. Yes. You want to move that practical effects? <clears throat> Excuse me. You want to prove the practical effects are better than CGI, but having a hard time convincing that one that one movie snob. Suggest that you both watch the musical number. Can you picture that from 1979's The Muppet Movie? After you've just watched it, ask how that scene could possibly be improved with computers. The most technologically advanced part of that scene were the TV screens, the Muppeteers, the TV screens, the Muppeteers used to see what they were doing on camera. Sometimes felt in imagination beats a cray supercomputer. That is a classic musical set. Felt in imagination. Felt? Felt. Yeah, the material that they made uh, a lot of the Muppets out of. Okay. Pisces. <clears throat> Music performers study a long time, learning all the tried and accepted techniques of how to play an instrument. And then they go out in the world and jazz it all up by breaking the rules. For example, normally the song Dueling Banjos is performed by two people with a backing band to fill out the sound. But if you ignore the whole traditional guitar and banjo playing techniques, it can be played by one guy on a double neck guitar. You may not like country music, but this time, you're going to love it. And as a side note, uh, I actually got, uh, there was a recording where somebody did dueling tubas. That and it was so hilarious that the guys who were doing it, they themselves ended up cracking up and they couldn't finish it. Because <laughs> it was freaking hilarious. The weirdest one I've seen so far is a guy with a guitar. I, mm -hmm. I think is what it was. And the other guy on stage with him with a whole bunch of little bicycle horns all over an overall set or, or, or a, a work slicker kind of thing. And he would, oh, squeeze, onesie, yeah. yeah. And, and he, they did a good job. I will give him that, but I don't ever need to hear that one again. But yeah, the, uh, the one guy that I saw on YouTube who did, dueling 
banjos on a double double necked guitar and he played both necks with both hands yeah that was just it was it was just great yeah when i see people who are able to do something like that that ambidextrous uh, having that ambidextrousness and applying it to an art form especially a musical form it's it's really a beautiful thing oh yes it is it really is so those are your horrible scopes for this week. And remember, if you like what you got, uh, <laughs> happenstance, man. Correlation is not causation. Uh, nobody paid me this time. So if you want something nicer or nastier, you need to be in touch with me. And I'll have these posted online you know, at the end of the week when I work on the next ones. You know, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, you know, all that happy orchid. Because that's what I do. Because I'm weird yeah. that way. Happy horseshit. Not to be confused with happy holistic hippie sh- horseshit. You or happy hippie holistic horseshit. You sorry. tried so hard to get that one out. <laughs> you know I'm out of practice and I'm dude, you're you're having Loganberry juice or, or wine or whatever the hell it is. You know what I'm having? I have uh the Maxwell House, they bought out the International Delight stuff. I made the mistake of filling up my cold brew and then to flavor it instead of it just being plain black coffee. I put in one of the packets of the International Delights uh, mocha latte stuff, and you're supposed to just mix it with milk. So I'm having about it. Actually, cont- what I didn't realize is it actually contains caffeine. It contains real coffee. It wasn't just flavoring. So I'm on a double caffeine binge right now because I finished the cup, and uh, my cup holds twenty uh, some odd ounces. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah if you hear uh, a weird vibration coming from my microphone it's just me bouncing in my chair so you're gonna vibrate straight through the floor got it <clears throat> yeah might come through the internet protocol it might probably you not know, it might. you know what that's a good transition speaking of wavelengths yeah so that's what bouncing is so item number one and just to get the just to get the the, uh, the, the piece out of the way we do know and understand that the naming of the James Webb Space Telescope is problematic. We know. We are, however, laying that aside for the time being, because that's a discussion for another day. So the JWST, which is, I know it's a little bit of a mouthful to let that spill out of your face, but still, the first photos have come out. And these are not even like it's ramped up. This is kind of like the um, the equivalent of the 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 guy in the sound booth just you know you know tapping on the mic testing testing one two test test and oh my god I I got I got no problem with saying that if I remember correctly. The area of space that they took one of those pictures from was about the equivalent of holding a grain of rice in your fingers at arm's length and holding that against the night sky. And they have hundreds, and I mean hundreds, of galaxies in that shot. And there are, there are plenty of them that you can, you can easily make out what type they are. 
what style they are, what, what look spiral, barred, globular, whatever. And you can easily tell that there are a number of them that have that. I forget exactly what it's called. I think it's the Einstein gravitational lensing effect where the look of these galaxies are just smeared in such a large area. And it's just amazing to see how this thing is operating. And it's not even fully clocking in yet. So let's start off with this. Gentlemen, uh, Tech and I were talking just a, a little bit before the show, but uh, Joseph, you are someone who appreciates photography. Did you get to see any of those pictures yet? Oh, yeah. Well, they were. Uh, how, how could you avoid them? It, I mean, I check up. I, I look at Facebook every morning to check up on my family and just like, I think um, it was last Thursday when it came out. I forget. But anyways, like practically every post, every post in Facebook was that image. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, this is only the start. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> like, uh, like they said on, uh, the, uh, the skeptics guide to the universe. I'm always plugging them. Sorry about that. Uh, okay. but <laughs> yeah, this is, this, this photo is, um, the version, um, all on automatic settings. So once they start to fine tune that shit, I think we're going to get some pretty amazing stuff. I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty damn accurate. Uh, tech, what kind of stuff did you want to say about it? Uh, I thought it was freaking hilarious. Uh, when, uh, I believe it was NBC news, uh, an, an NBC news agent. Not sure which news agency it was, but the, the, the TV guy was asking Neil deGrasse Tyson whether we were just seeing images in false color and that they were made up, or is this what we're actually, are we seeing what the images of what the, uh, what the telescope actually took a picture of? And he's like, Oh, you want to go there? Sure. Let's go there. And <laughs> you can immediately see the news anchor going, uh, what did I just do? <laughs> Which made me, and this is consequently, this is what, uh, Sujin and I were talking about before the show. And what I loved was, is that the first thing that Neil did was explained very shortly, very briefly, how the human eye works, what it can see, right? And that it can essentially see red, green, blue. Hence why all our LEDs and stuff for television are in that colors, or, or using those colors to make up what we see on TV. And that the telescope sees in the deep infrared, which the human eye can't see, but you can segment the variations in that infrared uh, area to and translate them to red, green, blue. And that what we see at that point is what we would be able to see if we could see into the infrared. And... That's not what what was really cool about the whole thing. What was really cool was watching the news anchor's mind. You could see the expression on his face get blown away by that concept. And that tells me that we need more scientifically literate people on the bloody television. 
blowing people's mind with such a simple concept should not be this easy. We need a more scientifically literate society around the world as a whole. Now, anybody who watched that, that isn't scientifically literate, I really hope it blew their minds just as much and in such a positive way. Because he has, Neil deGrasse Tyson has this amazing ability to deliver information in such a positive and educational manner. That it really does, he, he really does do a great job of positively influencing people around him. Something that you know, I definitely don't have the ability to do. <laughs> I'm good at complaining. <laughs> yeah. I'm not every, a very good teacher. <laughs> every scientific uh, establishment should have at least one Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, working God. Yeah. Them. We should more be importantly, so we should More importantly, be so every news station should have one like Oh, God, yeah. Science communicator. Yeah. There should be somebody on the news who, who, when a news anchor comes out and makes some kind of stupid statement or whatever. You got the science person in the background going, well, Bob, that's not entirely true. What's really happening in this scenario is this and can explain it in a way that, you know, the rest of the people out there can understand. Because sometimes you need a news anchor who can make the same fallacies as everybody else. And then have somebody who can politely, educationally, and without uh, intimidating somebody, correct the news anchor. So somebody else can go, well, I was thinking the same thing as news anchor, but I'm wrong. But now I know better. And they weren't the ones getting corrected. It was the news anchor who got corrected. I, I I saw a teacher do that with a teacher's aide when I was in college. And I thought it was an, it, it was a, it was an amazing, uh, um, it was an amazing trick to get the students to feel more comfortable asking questions when they were ignorant on something and they needed to, or they had a miscon- misconception about something. And I'd love to see that kind of handled on television. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, one of the, well, the two things. Uh, the first one was uh, one of the things that I got tech laughing about earlier <laughs> was that uh, I was I was comparing it to if you if you took one of the Alvin the Chipmunks records yep. on a record player, okay, it's it's a device for playing back audio that's recorded onto a platter of kids. Ask your parents, don't worry about it. If you set it at forty five RPMs, because that's normally you know what a single would be, but if you turn the spin down to Okay, some of you are going to understand this. 33, okay, but if you turn it down to 16, I know there are some of you right now that are going, what? Trust me, it's a real thing. This is the speed at which it spins the disc. Yeah, don't don't explain any further than that. You guys can look it up for yourselves. You take it from 45 and you play it back at 16. That's effectively what you're doing with the stuff that's coming back from JWSE. Because it's infrared, well, actually, you know what? I've got it wrong. I've got it wrong. It's actually the opposite. I just pulled up a. I just pulled up the information on wavelengths of light, and you know what? I had it backwards. It would be actually speeding up the frequency. 
Looking at the listing, visible light spectrum. Don't worry, you don't, there will not be a test on this later. Just, just trust me for a second. The visible light spectrum is measured in terahertz. Yes, terahertz, as opposed to, you know, gigahertz, terahertz. And the color red or various colors of red will typically be in the 400 to 480 terahertz range. Under that, meaning slower than 400 terahertz, is where you start to get into the infrared range. So, you know, 390, 380, 370, you know. So what they're effectively doing is they're capturing the light in those frequency bands, and they are speeding up the... I'm going to approximate the word color, because it's not quite the same way that we think of color. It is color in that it is a frequency of vibration of photons, which is what differentiates between, you know, the colors that we would normally see. But it's starting from a point that we can't see. And then they just bump it up. And it just works out greatly that way. They just have to find out what's the, what's the, the middle color that they're going to work with and then go from there, which is very different from what Hubble has done. Because as I recall, Hubble is using specifically visible wavelengths, which has got its own, you know, problems to deal with because dust and dirt and stuff kind of gets in the way. There are certain frequency bands that are better than others. Uh, for instance, those of you that might remember AM radio, you go under a, a highway overpass. Well, the AM radio cuts out for a little bit. That's not because of anything other than that's, that's with the frequencies work. It's, it's the wavelengths. But if you're listening on FM, it's a shorter wavelength. It actually gets in there easier. It reflects off of stuff a little bit better. So, you know, pick it up. So all this infrared stuff, this, this latent heat that it's picking up from, not only is it picking up stuff with far more clarity than Hubble ever did or could, it's picking up details that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to even dream we could ascertain. As in, like, being able to pick out the spectra for water in the absorption lines in some areas. And there are some, some scientists who have been looking at the, the technical data coming out, the, the stuff besides just the pictures that we're getting, like the actual spectra. And they're looking at this stuff and they are just blown out of their minds with just, I can't believe we can read this. And I, for one, welcome our, um, 13 billion light year away neighbors whenever they get here. By the way, I, I do want to touch on something with regards to Hubble because I have seen online some hate for Hubble, oh, God. which to me is an atrocity. Yeah. Um, it is a horrendous thing to do. 
here's the thing to remember about the James Webb Space Telescope. JWS. It was designed produ- primarily, primarily. It's that means its main mission is con- to conduct astronomy using the infrared bandwidth. Okay, infrared. The idea being that you can see the stuff that's further out because it's old distance it's, it, it, and so on. Uh, so it's basically seeing further than Hubble could. But the Hubble wasn't designed for just infrared. It was actually designed for near-infrared, not far-out infrared. It was designed for visible. It was designed for ultraviolet, which the James Webb Space Telescope can't do, as well as electromagnetic spectra, uh, spectra, uh, the spectrum. I can't say the other word. Which, again, the James Webb can't do. In fact, the lifespan of the Hubble is still estimated to go on uh, to at least last till either uh, 2030 to 2040, depending on how well it stays maintained. And Hubble, um, I don't know about the James Webb telescope in this respect, but I know with regards to all the other uh, telescopes, that was the only one that was actually designed to be hand-maintained by actual astronauts. Whereas the other stuff was fired out into space and then left to do its own thing. Yeah. Um, and it's been doing, it's been giving us service that has, I mean, when it was first launched, it had an aberration in the mirror. They corrected it. Um, um, and ever since they corrected it, the few repairs, upgrades, and stuff that they've had to do to it has only improved its abilities and, and the results that we get. And they have been amazing, the things that we have gotten from Hubble. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if it wasn't for all these things, we probably wouldn't have this beauty of a James Webb Space Telescope. So please, to those people out there who may be seeing this, who are actively doing this right now, please stop hating on the Hubble. It's still useful. It's still going to do things that the James Webb can't do. and it's still got plenty of life left in it. Yeah. And and, as we know full well, and we've said it on many an occasion, when NASA does it right, they outlast so much stuff. It's not even funny. Hubble's uh, Hubble has its problems. There are some problems in it currently that could, and I say that very, very, very guardedly, could be maintained out, could be fixed, could be repaired, but there, there are no, there are no craft that could go up there to actually do what needs to be done. That's, that's, that's what the space shuttles were best able to do. But, you know, we, we don't have those dump trucks anymore, but what they've been able to do with Hubble it has been amazing. One of the things that absolutely blows my mind is that uh, they ran into a problem with one of the gyroscopes not working to keep the attitude correctly. Yeah, and I remember that. They were trying to figure out, well, how many can we lose before we really have to start worrying about this? And how do we, how do we compensate for this so that, you know, we, we can extend as best we can. 
And some of these really super smart people over at NASA basically said, well, wait a minute. We basically get a free push from the photons coming off of the sun. How about we just help you use that as part of our stabilization curves? And the people were just like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, let's sure you go ahead and try to figure out how to, you figured out how to do that. So they're literally using the sunlight that's coming off the sun to as part of their equations for how do we stabilize the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, more interesting, when it first started having gyroscopic failure, they figured out that one of the temporary workarounds that they could do to, you know, help extend out how long they had until they had to go up there and essentially kick the tires hmm. was uh, they actually did a software update. Yeah. To change the gyroscopic modes and to compensate for inoperability. Do you know what kind of brains it takes to do that stuff? Brains that work at NASA. Yeah. It really does. So, you know, every time I hear somebody like badmouth NASA or something, it's like, you people don't have any idea just how amazing NASA is. Considering that they're, you know, constantly getting budget cuts, that sometimes they have to outsource something and then they have to make it work. I, I mean, they do. You want to talk about miracle workers. Those people are miracle workers. Yeah. And I'm not talking about miracles in like surgery. I'm talking about miracles in technology. Yeah. By the way, I I I totally forgot because we were in the middle of the the scopes at the time. Stephanie, good morning. Hi. Uh, Steph was asking, yeah, how do you hate a piece of equipment? Uh, sorry, it's early and I have problems processing this concept. I totally really? understand. That. You've never driven a Yugo. Okay. Leave that aside for a second. <laughs> Leave that aside for a second. The it's not so much that they're hating on the equipment. The problems that we've been hearing from people, the complaints, I should say, are it cost how much money and what could we have done with that money otherwise? As if you can't spend money on more than one thing. And don't understand, this is a long-term investment. And here in the United States, NASA gets, if I remember correctly, uh, traditionally gets one half of one cent of every dollar in taxes. It's pittance. It's really just pittance for what they do. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's absolutely just, and the, the what gets back, technologically speaking, far outstrips the uh, the amount of money that's put out into it. I mean, I mean, shit. We've got uh, voyagers out there still clocking away, still checking back in every once in a while. Uh, we've got New Horizons rocketed, no pun intended, past Pluto, and oh, look at that! It's still sending back data, even at this yeah. point. Uh, mm -hmm. I just these people just don't. They have literally written standards on like soldering wires, yeah, 
for stability, durability, the whole nine yards. Why? Because when you do something up in, when you do something like that, it has to last. It has to work. It has to be the best that it can be. So when we, you know, launch something the size of, you know, a car to another planet so that it can investigate, well, you can't just go out there and go, oh, you know, the battery fell out. Well, let's just go pick it up and put it back in. Really? Okay, well, you'll be the first human to get to Mars to do it. Yep, and I was trying to uh I was trying to remember what the what the expression was. Written on the plaque in memory of the crew of Apollo One. And for those of you that don't recall Apollo One, it's kind of important. Ad Astra per Aspera. A rough road leads to the stars. Well, yeah, um, that can be translated many ways. Certainly, but that's the it, way that it's, it's normally the- literally translated. It means through the through the thorns to the stars. Yeah, there there are a couple of different ways it could be translated according to what I've got over here. But like I said, from the plaque for uh, Apollo One. They have it as uh, a rough road leads to the stars. So, you know, it's basically comes down to a very simple. There are hardships that we will go through before we learn something. Got to work to make progress. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) um, unfortunately, in the line of Apollo 1, which was not originally a... An Apollo mission officially until after. Sometimes these costs to the stars are great and grave, but forward on we go. Anyway. Oh, God, I, you know, I really shouldn't be. There's things, there's reasons. This, this is, this is always one of those times of the year where I get a little, uh, I, I get a little extra emotional, not just because it's anniversary time, but also, you know, it's, it's moon landing season, you know, a couple of days from now, it'll be the, 53rd? God. You have another one planned? It'll be the 53rd anniversary of the moon landing. Isn't China? They have something in the works to go back next year, no? Or something like that. I don't know. But in this particular case, I don't know if they're if that would be robotic or human. In this case, the, uh, uh, the human landing is the, the one that of course sticks in everybody's mind. Well, yeah, of course I would really like it if, you know, Apollo 17 wasn't the last one, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. My only regret that first moon landing was the, absence in that famous phrase that was said to the absence of an ah 
Yeah. Yeah, there's there's questions as far as to was it a, a, a transmission error? Was it a, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're the first person to land on a new celestial body. You missed um, one one phoneme. You know what? I'm not going to hold that against you. Yeah. And what's most amazing is that probably every announcer since or whatever, whoever presents it, uh, won't acknowledge the error. One I, small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Yeah. And it's, um, in and of itself, it's an amazing concept. It's an amazing statement of solidarity for exactly the premise of, you know, move forward. Come on yeah. out. Well, it's like, it's kind of like the feeling generated by the, you know, the web images. Um, it's something of the same trend. And of course you have the, the people uh, in the Facebook posts I saw about it. And you've got people whining about, oh, well, let's, let's, this is all very nice, but why don't we uh, start dealing with the, uh, why don't we be more concerned about real things like uh, climate change and shit like that? But as far as I'm concerned, you know, like images like this, you know, the, the web images, that, that inspires me to get involved, become aware of, you know, the universe around us, the world around us. Yeah, it does. Be a, be a little more receptive to... Um, our environment. You ask anybody who's gone up in a shuttle, anybody who's gone up and seen the Earth from a distance, it's an it, they end up having an epiphany and they end up becoming enlightened about just how petty some of the shit that goes down on this planet really is. Just how insignificant so much of it is it doesn't feel like it to us you know when you're when you're in the moment down here on planet earth you're in the moment you know that oh gosh you know somebody just clipped my car and now my headlights out and i got to replace it it's the end of the damn world you know first off i don't off, know first, how to do that myself right first first mm -hmm. off first world problem <laughs> yeah but it's not a it's not a good thing right now with inflation and, and greed going on, uh, affecting everyday regular people. It feels like, you know, it just can't get worse. Oh my god, it's horrible, all that stuff. But when you're looking down and you're looking at the bit the pale blue dot, as it were, the beautiful blue marble, um, you realize there's much more to life than just a headlight. We get so bound up in these little things, we forget everything else. And, you know, you can argue for whatever you want, that, that it's planned, it's made that way by other humans, whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that it happens and we need to stop it. And one of the beautiful ways to remind yourself that, hey, there are more important things going on right now than just a broken headlight in our lives is to take a step back and look at something that is bigger than you are. 
And of course, you know, some people make the case for, oh, well, you know, that's what you do if you pray to God. And it's like, <laughs> uh, show me a picture of God, would you please? Like, you know, I can see the cradle of life in outer space. Show me this beautiful being of yours that supposedly made the damn thing. Yeah, oh, you can't? <laughs> okay, let, let me focus back on these beautiful images coming down from the James Webb telescope and the Hubble and everything else then. Because that's real. I can see that. You know, we can, we can maybe at some point in the future of humankind, if we don't destroy ourselves first, maybe we can even go there. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I would otherwise love to read the entirety of the, the excerpt of, uh, pale blue dot from Carl Sagan. It's, uh, it's a gorgeous thing, but it is a beautiful thing. I want to read just the last, uh, the last, uh, paragraph from it. Reminding you, this is 1994 that it was published. The last paragraph says this. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is, perhaps, no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. It's true. You look out onto the palette that is the roiling, boiling universe that we can see, and holy smoke, the idea that there are, like I said, JWST, the image that came back, a grain of rice held at arm's length at the night sky, and there are hundreds of galaxies in that one picture alone so far, and it's not even souped up yet. How, how amazing and humbling it has to be to look out onto that vast sea and think, yeah, I'm the only one. It is literally impossible for me to think that we are the only intelligent species in the universe. It's simply, it's simply untenable to me, even if I can't prove it. And by the way, Cato, by the way, hi, there you go. That also brings up, uh, onto what Tech was saying earlier, you know, our high opinions of ourselves, because, you know, we always, um, not only are we probably not the only quote-unquote intelligent species out in the world, uh, out in the universe. Um, you know, I've always asked myself the question about time travel. And, um, well, if it's ever going to happen, maybe it hasn't happened yet. Because, um, you know, some people use that as an evidence that time travel will never exist because nobody's come to our point in in time. Well, there's no evidence of any such thing anyways. But it could be just simply the fact that uh, our point in time in humanity is just not interesting enough for those from the future to visit. <laughs> or not sophisticated enough to be able to detect it. Yeah, because like, we're just at a... We're at a starting point in our journey. Because I think from our childhood, the advances we've made in technology 
when I was born in the 1970s, well, we still had the rotary dial telephone and all that. But one thing we have to change is, um, yeah, I had a black one on the wall. Super long cord. So I could actually talk from all the way across the room. And of course, as we know for well, there is something that is missed in these older technologies being replaced. Because with current technology, you can't do this. Goodbye. You don't get that sound. Oh, the satisfying clunk tagging <laughs> up on something. Exactly. I mean, you yeah. tell me how you can do that with one of these. I'll be impressed. Without, without, without breaking it. <laughs> without breaking it. No, had to add that in there. Yeah. Somebody should make an application for that. That would be really, really nice. <laughs> it would be. But in any case, uh, oh, great. Now Stephanie is, don't get me started. I was born in 52. You know what? I'm 52. Well, I'm 53. Okay, you know what? Shh, whatever. I'm 51. I don't care. But shh. I don't care. Anyhow. <laughs> but there, there is actually, uh, there is actually, uh, kind of important stuff about all this. Wish that screensaver would just go away. There we go. Anyway, current uh, current modes of technology for telecommunications. These mini supercomputers that we keep along with us, which that's what they are. They're not telephones anymore. They're not direct two-way radios. They're they're mini computers, and they're they're absolutely. Uh, they're amazing. Once upon a time ago, y you might remember that there used to be the little uh, two-way wrist radios that Dick Tracy had. That that video, uh, that two-way video chat that he had, and that was and the just, antenna used to run up his coat. Yeah, to the, to his collar of his trench coat. Yeah, and that that's how he caught one of the kids trying to steal his watch. Uh, and Kato's saying 39. 39's a good age. Remember, that is one Jack Benny old, so you know, keep that in mind. So, yeah, we, you had, um, you had the, the, the two way wrist radio once upon a time ago. Uh, you had the, uh, the bat phone in the Batmobile, that, that na, 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 red na, na. thing, Batman. because, I mean, Somebody had to do it. I still love the fact that somebody took the goofy Batman fight scenes and superimposed them over onto current Batman movies. That's fine. That was freaking hilarious. <laughs> it was and, great. It was highly entertaining. And remember, at about that same time frame, you also had one of these. Because didn't hear any sound effect though. Nope. Okay, you might not have heard it, but it came through. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, because because it, I got because I got the good one because it. There it goes. But 
these, once upon a time ago, the tech can't tell the difference, but that's okay. They used to be toys. They still are toys. This this one is. This is just a doesn't matter. It's just a I can do this all day, and I don't I don't care because this isn't this is a toy. It's for kids. When I was a kid, these were shaped a, a lot bigger, and they operated on CB channel seventeen or something, and because you know two way walkie talkies. You know, it was the thing. But now come the twenty first century, and because of the nostalgia factor for these things, they've now souped these suckers up with Bluetooth technology to be able to talk to whatever. Could be your phone, could be your computer, you know, whatever. And when I go to the Renaissance Festival at the end of the month, oh, you bet your ass I'm taking this with me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was actually giving serious consideration to uh, wearing my uh, my maroon Starfleet jacket. I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't think I should really do that. But uh, I mean, we, we're definitely living in the future. I mean, a case in point, in my pocket is a knife that's steel. Mm-hmm. But it also has a composition comprising carbon, chrome, molybdenum, uh, molybdenum, tungsten, vanadium, manganese, and silicon. It's M390 steel. It's uh, one of the uh, super steel subspecies. Wow. It's, it's an extreme alloy. It has a very high durability and resistance um, in every quality that you measure in a steel and it's in my pocket i have a super steel in my pocket as a pocket knife a pocket knife this thing was designed for injection molding to get like 10,000 plus uses out of it without it degrading at that point and i have it as a pocket knife Okay, we have cell phones that are not true phones. They're pocket computers. And we've said this before. They're more powerful than anything that we've sent up into space uh, for the very beginning part of all the space programs. No, most of the space program up to this point. In fact, for a long time, some of the cell phones and laptops were more powerful than the computers they used at airports. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> think about that one. You were on a plane, and the computer at the airport, at the air tower, was less powerful than a laptop. It's amazing to think to me that uh, Voyager is effectively a palm pilot out there somewhere. <laughs> it, it's not really, but you know, be that as it may. And by the way, Roxy, uh, thank you for joining, uh, had said, as for other life out there, what's to say that we're not the first ones? I've wondered that. I have actually honest and truly pondered that idea that, you know, we've got, we've got all these science fiction stories about how earth is one of the ones that's, it's the kid brother that's finally coming up through the ranks and, you know, finally, oh, well, 
we finally discovered Earth is out there, and Earth is actually kind of special. So let's go ahead and do stuff with you guys. And and you're the ones that are going to save us. And But the idea that maybe, just maybe, we are the first? That's really something special. That's a really, really sobering idea. I don't know that it's real likely, but at the same time, Considering from what we've understood so far to date, how quickly biological life has evolved on this planet from the time that, you know, it, it was the conditions were appropriate for the chemistry to have happened, how quickly it happened after that. Yeah, I'd, I don't know that we're going to be the first, but, you know, the idea that there are is nobody else out there? No. I I can't I I can't agree to that anymore. What I suspect and this is because of our current understanding of physics and quantum physics and everything else may be flawed, may be skewed. It tends to correct itself when it finds uh problems. But I suspect that if there is no way to get around the physical limits of the universe, that what we won't see is a way for two civilizations to accidentally bump into each other. It would have to be, in my opinion, uh, most likely one of two events. Either A, a planned event where both civilizations are making an effort to reach each other, or B one of those kinds of things where it's not so much that they just bumped into us. It's we happen to be in a path of whatever it is that their goals are and most likely not. Um, like if we want to get out past, you know, outside our solar system and travel, some people think colony ships. I'm thinking, Instead, um, virtual environments where the human brain has been been able to be copied into a computer system. And we come up with uh, computonium, or I think that's one of one of the science fiction authors call it. It's essentially think of a, a, a one inch cube of material that is both a computer and computer substrate processing power, storage, the whole nine yards. But now you can build things out of it and it can rearrange itself all while storing data and uh, processing power and, and the whole nine yards it can literally, you know, it's one of those, um, deus ex machina kind of, uh, things in a story, but the concept is not flawed. The concept's a real thing. It was just we will have to get really technologically and scientifically advanced to get to that stuff. Yeah, uh, the I think singularity. To, I think is one of the things they refer to it as. Not well, the singularity has to do with AI more than not, if I remember correctly. Or am I thinking of transhumanism? Transhumanism is where we accelerate ourselves uh, via technology. And I think it will be transhumanism that will what we will need to actually explore the known universe oh. to get ourselves into synthetic bodies or to synthetic environments 
where, you know, time, oh, we got all the time in the world. We got all the time in the universe till the universe expires, until the heat death of the universe at that point, or until the medium breaks down and it has to be replaced and we don't have replacement material. That kind of thing is what it'll take, in my opinion. And granted, I'm not the smartest man on the planet. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> and you did not hesitate. <laughs> well, but I, I think mean, that's what we're going to see um, if we do encounter another species is something similar to that, where it's artificial bodies, it's synthetic uh, creations. Um, original minds, organic minds, but put into inorganic systems so that they can withstand the test of time that we would have to travel. Becomes really interesting because there's so many other pieces along with that. Not the least of which is how much mind is there and how insane will that mind become after millennia of coasting through uninhabited space? That's why I like science fiction stories is they come up with, uh, they come up with these concepts uh, that address just the thing that you're talking about. Well, what happens if somebody goes crazy in a virtual environment? How do you help them? You know, how do you do these things? And they talk about the concepts of what it is to be a human being, what the human brain needs in terms of perceptions and uh, patterns to actually process. Um, on Audible, there's something called the Bobiverse, which is a great listen. It's freaking hilarious. But it, it, it talks about uh, creating inside the virtual environment that these brain scans are part of. Uh, actual couches and chairs and a beer, uh, food, television, entertainment, like volleyball and all that other stuff. All while they're controlling machines that are exploring the galaxy. And uh, so that they can maintain a modicum of themselves, of who they were, without going crazy. Yeah. But it's also, yeah, a lot of science fiction is it's more self-examination than anything because it's basically, it's um, projecting the human existence into situations it's never experienced. And almost experimenting with uh, the outcome. Yeah. And if you look at science fiction in the past and some of the stuff that we've made in terms of technological breakthroughs, some of that wasn't too far off. Oh, yeah. That was almost a thought experiment. Yeah. Roxanne. But it still doesn't. Oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah. I'm thinking it it still doesn't address uh, certain questions like. for example, okay, going insane in space, but why the insanity? The but, way I was anyway. thinking of it was, um, mm-hmm. depending as to how much mind there is in whatever, whatever AI system it is, depending as to is it complete AI? Is it transcoded? memory engrams from a a brain being put into a a digital computerized system, how much mind is there? And after however long of just not doing anything, so to speak, at what point 
does that mind start to get really wonky? Like, you know, if, if you don't have anybody to be, uh, societal with, at what point does somebody just start to break down? What, at yeah, because we are a social species. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find that very interesting. And, and, and as, as an aside, what I was going to say was Roxanne had pointed out the Borg are transhumans. Um, you're right. And that yeah. is a freaky, scary transhuman. Well, one of the interesting things about the Borg is, is that they have a goal of just bettering themselves through, uh, technological absorption, right? Whereas I'm talking about making the technology and such so that we can go exploring. Oh yeah. That that's, that's a different mission statement right there than the Borg. Oh yeah. Um, but there is something interesting, uh, that it comes to mind in one of the episodes of next generation where they had the Borg, where there was a segment of Borg that had uh, broken off and they broke off uh because essentially what they were doing while they were in their recharge states they had a virtual environment where they had their original human bodies with no board parts on it uh they had a frame of reference uh a landscape and so on and that is something that a lot of scientific authors i've seen uh, of their works that i've read um in the past several decades have actually hit upon is that one of the potential ways that the human brain could be maintained, the human psyche could be maintained is by ensuring that if we're going to put a human brain inside of a computer, we have to give that brain, that digital creation access to a digital environment to recreate body to go with the mind. It's a virtual body. But when you're feeding virtual data to a virtual brain, even if the person in there is self-aware that, hey, this is not my real body, when they lift that virtual arm and they touch their fingertips together, they're still getting the feedback they would have gotten had they had a real body. And then they can change that virtual environment to be a house. You know, maybe they have a sit-down computer and a bed and everything else. And when they're resting between long travel missions, they're in a house. Maybe they're playing pool, whatever. You know, maybe they have other brains working other aspects of the ship um, or that they're working in tandem for analyzing data and they need downtime. So now they're getting around and they're playing around a volleyball. You know, they're doing a fake grill out and they're not using anything but some small amount of computer resources to generate that environment for the for their own sanity. Now comes the fun question. If you are able to decide whatever that environment is, A, you now run into the actual brain in a vat thought experiment, and B, at what point does that still become too boring when you are the god of your own environment and can do literally anything? Interesting that you asked that stuff. In the Bobaverse, they actually had the ability to spin up and slow down time in their environment oh. by spinning up and slowing down their own perception of the outside universe. And their limitations were literally the technology that they existed within. So in doing so, when you think about it, computers operate at incredible speeds. Oh, hell yeah. Right. So you could 
hypothetically live a year inside of a second inside of a computer. But if you slow down your perception, the day inside of a computer and the day outside of the world could coexist. Or shift back and forth in, in ratio as needed. Yep. You could possibly make it even slower so that a hundred years passes outside and only a day passes inside the computer. However, you know, maybe you have a segment where the input over those hundred years is going through an automated system and you get uh, a shift, a temporary shift back to real time or faster time when you have to analyze a piece of data that requires a human brain to analyze. So see, scientific authors have been thinking about this kind of stuff. And what's the beautiful thing about uh, science fiction is that we have ways of making the stuff come real. And it's some of it's based on reality. Some of it's based on not reality. um, Hence the science fiction part. Um, And some of the authors actually have backgrounds that are beyond just writing a science fiction book. You know, some of these people are mathematicians. Some of these people have science degrees. Some of these people actually studied human psychology. Um, So we're in the future now already, and we still have plenty of future to go. How we get there, we kind of have to focus on it. And when we're too busy down here fighting each other over something stupid, And I don't mean that the topic itself is stupid. Body autonomy is not stupid. But fighting over whether somebody should have body autonomy is stupid. Yes, everybody should have body autonomy. Next question. Move on. And the problem is we have the people that drag us back so that we can't move on. Because they can't see beyond their own nose. They can't see the pale blue dot. When they look at the pictures from outer space, they go, oh, that's pretty. Next thing. What's what's making me money today? Or what's the next thing I can do to piss off you know, constituents? Or what's, what's the next thing I can do to hurt somebody else? These are the people that I have truck with. Yeah. And there, there is absolutely something to be said for that. Because there is definitely a correlation between the mentality. I'm not going to say the people's, but the mentality of dismissal of the scientific endeavor and I'm trying to figure what the right way of describing it is. Um, Civics. I, I I don't know that I'm using the right terminology for it, but there is absolutely correlation between people that are just dismissive of the scientific endeavor and people who just, you know, don't give a shit about anything except their their own petty squabblings. And that that hurts. And and because I don't wanna I, I don't wanna lose out on the pieces that I talked about uh in the uh the show's notes, let's not forget that we've also got things like uh, the very large array, which is a multi-continent spanning radio antenna. Let's not forget that there is the LIGO system that measures 
gravitational waves in space-time itself. The fabric of reality. and they, As we know it to be. Yeah, as we know it to be. And they have detected multiple, multiple black hole mergers. And they've been able to confirm this shit. And I think that no, the, they, uh, the, the greatest part about LIGO when it came out and they were just like, yep, we confirmed it. This is what the sound sounds like. And they played it back and it's just like, what? And I'm like, wait a minute, what what the hell is that? And they're like, no, that's that that's what it sounds like. If you sped it up a lot, because you know, the sound of a black hole vibrating is B flat fifty-two octaves below middle C. <laughs> if you're wondering how low that is, don't even bother. Just don't even bother. Yeah, and I mean if you want to get close to home. The Large Hadron Collider. Oh my God! Uh, observed, yeah. This this month, just this month, they turned it back okay. on again recently. Yeah, they After, turned it back on recently. It was, no, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. It was they it was off for maintenance and retooling for eighteen months, if I remember right, give or take. Give or take. And because they started off as basically, uh, I think it was like three years, give or take, of like preliminary testing on it where they're just like, okay, you know what? We've got all these great scientific things. Good. We're going to take it offline for a year and a half so that we can retool it and actually bring it up to what it's supposed to do. Well, anyway. I'm sorry. Um, they they turned it back on. The, the collaboration. Okay. They discovered three new particle. <sighs> Man. Well, particle combination. Yes. Um, combination. So it's there's a pentaquark, a new kind of pentaquark, the first ever pair of tetraquarks, and that includes a new type of tetraquark quark as well. But of course, <laughs> these things are so unstable, they blink out of existence almost right. as soon as they're created. But the thing is, is that we're seeing new stuff. And when we take this new information and we add it to what we know. Okay. It doesn't happen right away. Some, well, sometimes it happens right away, Mm. but for the most part, we start making new discoveries like this. It starts teaching us new things about cells, about our planet and about the universe around us. So when people say, Oh, it's a waste of money. It's like, no. Do you enjoy using a cell phone? Do you enjoy Facebook and 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 uh, Twitter and all these wonderful technological advances? Do you love having video communications at fingertip control? You know, not having to go to a, a video station and make a video call, but literally just pull it out of your pocket for a couple bucks a day and be able to, well, depending on your uh, plan anyway. Um, a, a data plan, but be able to v- see anybody virtually anywhere in the world. You have the vast sum of human knowledge indexed and searchable in the pocket and in, in, in the palm of your hand. It's called the internet. We live in the future right now. 
and we can make it whatever we want. And for those of us who want to move forward, we're being dragged back down by regressives who are going, no, no, you can't do that. We're too busy discussing who's got the better God. Uh, why don't you guys go sit in the corner, continue eating lead paint chips and some glue over there, while the rest of us, you know, come over here and make better scientific discoveries and improve the human condition, make the world a better place. And you guys, you know, slap each other in the face a few times until you start both crying and, and wetting yourselves. And seriously. But the problem is, is it seems like the people in the corner eating glue are starting to really go up in numbers. Well, they're, they're getting noisier, that's for sure. It's hard to tell what's going on for certain <laughs> because the, the, the noise machine uh, from these people, you know, the crazier they are, the noisier they are. And we're having our media filled with, um, you know, the, the latest um, Supreme Court, quote-unquote, decisions. But at the same time, if you look at the statistics, the the number of um, non-believers is going up, too. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm all we're the, at the number of people who agree that, yeah, every person should have their own body autonomy. Yeah, everybody else should have their own civil rights. Everybody should be able to do what they want as long as they're not hurting other people in the process and you know that number is going up and up and up and up and up you just have a, 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 a the other group happens to be louder and meaner and plays dirtier and they happen to have a lot of power yeah, yeah because of the they're following but it, it basically comes down to like for me it's not even a question you know god anymore it's a question of Accountability. I mean, as soon as you shirk everything off to some guy daddy existence who's going to be taking care of everything for you, um, who's supposedly doing this, um, you're no longer making decisions about your own existence and what's good for yourself. And uh, the people who are trying to grab power, well, these are people who just basically, they want to decide for us uh, what's, quote-unquote, best for us. But in reality, you know, what, what they want is uh, what's best for them. Because they have a total control over, over people who do not take responsibility for their own decisions and their own existence. There is, um, I don't know who said it. There, there is another, uh, there is another show that basically said after seeing this, this image coming down from JWSE, uh, JWST, that. What is that? The James Webb Space Telescope. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes. I've taken to calling it by its uh, abbreviated name because Sounds suspicious, like Jehovah's well, Witness. <laughs> yeah, but uh, as as I've come to understand, there are problematic issues with the person it was actually named after. So I've I've taken to specifically calling it by the initialization. 
for the time being, at least. In any case, some somebody had said, after seeing these pictures coming down from JWST, that their god is too small to fit inside the universe that we are now understanding. And there's something to be said for that. And considering that there are so many people for whom the God concept is basically a Mary Sue for themselves. There are a lot of people that are starting to realize that if, if they even realize it, that this world and its place in the universe is so incredibly or should be so incredibly humbling that there is nowhere good for their sky daddy to live. That makes any sense. There's no reason for this planet, the, the couple hundred kilometers around where it all started, that makes any kind of sense. And these That's are the, the same God of the gaps. Yeah. And the gap is getting increasingly smaller. Or wider, depending as to how you see it. In, mm-hmm. in either case, it just doesn't fit. And considering that so many of these people, like I said, for whom their God creation is a Mary Sue for whatever it is that they think should be, because their God always agrees with them. You know, suddenly, how, how, how does your God explain hundreds and hundreds of galaxies in that one photo, in that one speck in the sky. And if that's representative of the rest of everything around us, we're nothing. We're a nobody. It it simply boggles my mind. You know? Well, it's like um, what we were saying earlier, you know, certain situations we can get ourselves into. You know, like I've had, I've been lucky enough to go to the the top of the, the peak of the Swiss Alps. And I mean, just, it's just amazing up there. There's almost, uh, you're, you're getting towards the middle top of the atmosphere. And the stars are so clear mm-hmm. up there. And you can actually see, and under the right settings, you can actually see the the top of the um, the atmosphere bleeding off into space, and you just—it's so thin. Yeah, it's like basically our atmosphere is like compared to the size of the world, it's like an eggshell. Yeah, and how fragile! Just imagine all that just being blown away. I still love seeing the pictures of places where there is virtually no light pollution and people have set up cameras with long-term exposures so that they can get an image of the night sky and the view of the galaxy itself in the sky. Yeah. Go go on, um, go on Reddit and look at, look at the, uh, the various photo photo forums that they have. 
the stuff that the amateur community does with amateur telescopes rivals things that we could that we tried to get with professional systems just a couple decades ago. Yeah. And even yeah, even me where I live, I even though the the photo that I took was uh, quite a while ago and I took it with my digital SLR at the time, a, I took a not exactly a wide angle shot, but I took a, a fairly good size swath of the area at night in the snow because doing astrophotography in the winter is the best way to do it. There are reasons for that. Don't ask me about it now. I took a picture that included the side of my house, or I should say the front of my house, pointed up to the south for Orion. And the photo, even though I have streetlights, uh, a couple of streetlights, not very close at all, but because it was such a, a long exposure, comparatively speaking, my house looks like it's all lit up on the day. But the sky, the photos that I was able to get from just having just a couple of photographs, like three seconds long, and then putting them into free software to stack them on top of each other and to, to pull out the, the, uh, pull out the, the light sources from the deep darkness in the back. And we can do this on our own. Mm -hmm. it, and if, if, if you're lucky enough to have a pair of binoculars at night in an area where there isn't that much light pollution, if you look to the north, there is a very good chance that you could see the Andromeda galaxy. Fuck. And to me, it's like, how do we, how do we jibe that with people being so cynical about being able to do stuff like that when a couple hundred years ago, being able to make out the moons of Jupiter was suddenly an amazing prospect that shattered everything that, everything that the heliocentrists, uh, sorry, the, 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 geocentrists there we go wanted to say about the solar system that we live in it just boggles my mind and if you want to get close to home instead of going way out in outer space in terms of technological achievements last month in australia they created the first ever true quantum computer circuit. Not a transistor, not a pairing of entangled dots, but a full-blown, in, in every technological description of, this, of, uh, of what it's supposed to be, a true computer circuit using quantum uh, technology, quantum components. And so for those of you... Don't follow that stuff. Just think of a computer circuit, but at a quantum scale. Very, very tiny. Okay? And what that means is, is we're talking about getting one more step closer to full-born, 100% quantum computing technologies. 
getting closer to that science fictional computonium material, getting closer to actually having answers. I mean, right now, the fastest uh, speed record for sequencing the human genome is just over five hours. A full-born quantum computer could do that in a split second. Possibly less. Probably less. So we're talking about something that is going to change human lives. How we use that is going to be up to us. And unfortunately, the us in the beginning will not be you and me. It will be major institutions and businesses that can afford them. Probably even Wall Street, which is going to make that even more of a mess than it already is. But if we end up surviving their messes, or we keep them on a short leash, hopefully, we'll eventually see that technology in our own homes, our own environment. You know, instead of it, uh, like, for example, the first plasma screen television um, that was sold to the general public, uh, that Best Buy ever sold, um, was so expensive in terms of the technology that the singular display model that they put in stores had an alarm system that was almost as expensive as the television. You bump that TV, you set off the alarm. Now you go in there and they're dirt cheap in comparison. Yeah. And they're not even tied down. They're just bolted onto a shelf. You know, anybody could come in with a ratchet and whoop, walk off with it. No, well, you know, or just grab a box, you know, and run out the door. Uh, I'm not saying you should do that. That's illegal. It's a bad thing. Don't do that. I'm just saying that the differences between when it first made its public appearance versus now. And that'll happen the same thing, most likely, with the, uh, the quantum circuits and the quantum computers. Once it's a point where they can make it so that they can mass produce it, that drives the price down. And that makes it a reality to have in your home. Does that mean AI is coming? Who knows? You know, there's speculation that by making quantum computers, we open the door for AI. And then, of course, everybody has the scary movies and scary science fiction about how AI is bad because reasons. Uh, I, for one, welcome my robot overlords because, uh, honestly, I think they can do a lot better. <laughs> uh, assuming that they're programmed to actually give a damn. Who knows? I guess we'll see what we see. Yeah, and as far as to um, being worried about AI taking over... It could be actually rather benign. I mean, look at the pilot episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. So honestly, I, I think one of the most interesting things, uh, concepts, uh, that I saw in a science fiction short story, uh, that somebody had created was that the artificial intelligence, uh, intelligences, cause there was like a whole society of them. Uh, didn't really give too much of a damn about people because people didn't seem to give too much of a damn about them. So a person worked 
with a artificial intelligence that was willing to work with them and created the human computer link so that the human could experience what the artificial ex- uh, intelligence experienced. And likewise, the AI could experience the biological body, the thing that it couldn't understand. And so by creating a link that allowed them to be separate from each other, but to have share experiences, basically a technological version of empathy. Okay. They created a new society, not a Borgs, but a symbiosis between humans and AI. And honestly, if I think that might be something that might actually be needed because, you know, humans have a hard enough time just understanding each other. Fair enough. We got to see about uh, wrapping things up a little bit because uh, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bad right now. So Joseph, like I said, I'm coming your way to see what you've got to close up with at this point. Oh, um, um well, Nothing really. Another shoe repair weekend, so oh, I'm just putting on the trait point. I don't know how to say that in English. That's okay. Uh, yeah, you'll see something about that on Facebook later, no doubt. Nothing wrong with that. They they are Oh. What? I was I was about to just say that uh, they were quite lovely shoes to see. And I, I do not say that with, with any weirdness to them They're great shoes and, and to wear actually okay. but what's funny is what got me motivated to to do this to, to go through my uh, existing shoe collection well of dead shoes uh stuff i've worn in the past is that uh you know it's it's um Cenisolde. the uh it's sale season where you get like 60 percent off and yeah, I went to the store and had a look what they had to offer. And yeah, well, you're paying a lot for not much. Good finding, good luck finding anything with the leather soles nowadays. They're all rubber and they look like they're going to fall to pieces in a matter of months. So yeah, well, uh, what you saw, those shoes were Westons that, uh, they're from the 1960s. And I bought those at a flea market for probably the equivalent of probably 120 bucks or something. And they were brown before. And I'm also resuscitating a pair of uh, Montana shoes that I had acquired in the 1990s. And this is, yeah, I don't know if you know who Claude Montana is. Well, yeah, he's still alive. Um. Yeah, but he was uh, quite the thing back in the 1990s. He did his own designs. Very cool. So, yeah. And um, next weekend, I must warn you, um, I'm going to Castle Country. Ah, yes. You were you were saying that you were seeing that coming up soon. Yeah. So I'm leaving on Thursday. So I should be there for uh, the weekend. And I'll be looking into uh, temporarily enlarging my my monthly plan on my phone. So I'll see if I can join you from there. No worries. We'll see you, please. Tech, what do you want to finish off with? 
Um, Reminding you that we don't have too much time left. Yeah, I kind of think that uh, uh, I've covered the things I wanted to say. Um, You know, we've got so many amazing things going on. If we could just get the roadblocks out of the way, the, the people who want power for power's sake, the people who want to control everybody, get all that shit out of the way. Just stop being so goddamn petty about it. And allow humans to progress. Um, sure, there's something to be said about putting uh, brakes on certain kinds of... Uh, not brakes, um, but maybe like an engine retarder on certain kinds of uh, technological advances. You know, Just because we can doesn't mean we should and so on. You know, always, always ask that question. Um, and move forward, you know, gracefully. But we need to stop tripping ourselves up with all this petty bullshit. And right now the world is full of greed and petty bullshit. And the fact that we've been getting anything done just goes to show how amazing these smart people are, these persistent people, the ones who are trying to bring us further into the future how amazing they are you know we need to look out for these people you know sure neil degrasse tyson's is a great television scientific celebrity but there's a lot of people that are just as smart or if not smarter than him that are working behind the scenes as well and all of them need our protection so that they can continue to do the things that they do you know, and just try to look out for them. You know, if you know those kinds of people, keep an eye out for them. You know, if they're having a bad day, let them know that you appreciate the work that they're doing. They may not have had a hand in making the latest, greatest coffee maker, but somewhere along the line, somebody did that works with them or works or is related to somebody who worked with them or so on. You get the idea. Fair enough. There are two things. Oh, and robot girls are total metal. Yeah. I had to throw that in there. Fine. Uh, There are two things I'm going to, I'm going to close off with. Uh, One of which is more concept. Please remember once upon a time ago, when electricity and magnetism were still considered two separate products, (laughs) Michael Faraday, and and as an aside, Michael Faraday is uh, F. Where's it over here? FRS, which stands for uh, Fellowship of the Royal Society. I don't know if he's technically professor, sir, doctor. I don't. I don't. I don't care what it actually is. I went looking. I haven't been able to find it. So I'm just going to call him Professor. Professor Faraday. When he finally was showing off that there is a direct correlation between electricity and magnetism, which finally made us get to coin the term electromagnetism, he was asked, what is, what is this going to do for us? What, what are the practical applications? What's special about all this? What could we do with it? And he loosely, he answered, I don't know. That's not my job. I, I found the connection. I found out, I found this link. 
it's not up to me to figure out what to do with it. And all these years later, yet again, as was mentioned, we have these supercomputers in our pockets. Thanks to him. Or partially, partly, thanks to him. And the modern concept of professor did not exist at the time. Stephanie's telling me, you know what? Perfectly understandable. I don't know what title to, what honorific to give him. So I, I was using that because, well, you know, I don't think it really much matters. I don't think he's going to be bitching about it. So, you know, we'll just leave that aside. But I'm going to leave you with this item. The universe is endless yet finite. And in all the roiling, boiling fabric of reality, mankind is arguably the most curious piece of it. A conglomeration of star stuff, a dozen billion years in the making, that's achieved self-awareness enough to question, who am I? And in this moment of its existence as a species, a new glimpse into the deepest recesses of that endless finality has captured the attention of those who do something remarkable. They dream of new horizons, of journeys problematic in scope, impossible to current understandings, but dream they do of how to take the rules learned and twist them, mold them, beg them to allow for ideas that otherwise only imagination can fulfill. We now see further than ever before, farther than we could have hoped, with clarity that only a few short years ago we could not have expected. So now we, the citizens of this tiny planet, occupiers of a fraction of a fraction of a speck of dust in the cosmos, have to stop asking, are we alone, and begin asking, how will we greet our stellar neighbors one day. As far as to who coined that, who, who wrote that, guilty is charged. So with that, it's time for us to go ahead, call it a night, and bid you all adieu. Thank you for being with us tonight. We hope that you found something worthwhile in all of our perspectives, and you got something to think about for the weeks ahead. Over the chat, thank you all for being over there. Stephanie, Cato, um, and um, Roxy, thank you guys. You know, it's nice, nice to have you all over there. Uh, hope that you guys had yourselves a good time. And uh, seriously, please be safe, be healthy. Do not go drinking and boating. I know I always say it this time of the season, but you know, it's kind of a thing. Joseph. Thank you. And yeah, if if it turns out that you're not going to be able to join us, no worries. You have yourself a great time out there at the castle. Yeah, well, a lot of digging. But uh, yeah, well, I'll do my best to uh, to join up with y'all. Fair enough, but good luck. Yeah, thank you. You take care, sir. I'm going to do my best. Tech, <laughs> it yep. wasn't just us alone. Yay! Yeah, it wasn't just the two of us. But you also 
take care of yourself. Um, Tech and I have known each other long enough that I can go ahead and I can say, be safe. And he mm. knows exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But still, you have yourself a good week. You take good care of yourself, huh? Absolutely. You too. Um, I will be missing next week. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll see. We'll see what turns up. Okay. In the meantime, hope you guys have fun. And uh, great having all the uh, comments over in the live chat. Oh, absolutely. So, folks, thank you very much, as always, for being with us. If you'd like to be in touch with us, all of our contact information is over at holycrapthevlogcast.com. The phone number, if you'd like to leave a message, is 859-HCTV-554, 859-428-8554. And if you'd like to get the audio version of the podcast, the link is over there on the website over on the left-hand side. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we know for well that the news in general has been pretty much a shit show globally for the last couple of weeks. And I'm trying really hard to make sure that we don't end up going spiraling down that avenue. But, you know, maybe a little fluff piece for changes. Not such a bad idea. So, until the next time we get together, everyone, as always, I wish you the peace I no longer have. I wish you the strength that I've learned. I wish you well. And my lady, 29 years later, thank you for making me proud to be loved. Matane Fuji. I love you. I miss you. Dream of me. Till the next time we're together, everyone, as always. Good night. You've been listening to Holy Crap, the Vlogcast. Feel free to leave a comment at the show's website at holycrapthevlogcast.com, where you'll also find links to our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter pages. Theme music is Twisted by Kevin McLeod, available at incompetech.com. And on behalf of all of us here, thank you for listening.